Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Jesse Lenz. This is the last episode of the year 2023, and I know my episodes have been uh, fewer and farther between because of my involvement with other great projects, such as Photo Work with Sasha Wolf, a show you should definitely be listening to if you are not already doing so. And this year marked the return of our biennial show, Homecoming, from MFA Photography Reviews. My joint venture with Eric Kunzman, Donna Sterling, Yoav Friedlander, and Alana Aratam. And that was held at RIT this year, and it was spectacular. And for those of you who are listening, who were also at the show, I was really thrilled to meet you. And for those who are in the show uh, and I didn't get to meet, uh, thank you all for participating. It was really a wonderful event and a great experience for me. I hope it was a great experience for those of you who attended. I think from the feedback we received, it really was uh, quite a spectacular event. And one of the highlights for me was I got to give away a spot on The Real Photo Show, and that went to David Delira. In preparation for that show, you can check out David's fantastic work on his Instagram account at david.deforday.lira, david.day.lira, or you could go to deliradavid.com. So congratulations, David, and I'll talk to you next year. And of course, special thanks to Fujifilm US, who not only sponsored us financially, but they were there with us doing everything from helping us move tables to putting on incredible presentations, being there for portfolio reviews, to giving away a Fuji GFX system. So it was incredible having them there. And honestly, we just can't thank them enough. So it's been a fantastic partnership. So today's episode is not only sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, but my guest today is Jesse Lenz, who is a founder of the Charcoal Book Club, Charcoal Press, Chico Review. And I know it might sound like a business deal that I have Jesse on, but I can tell you with complete honesty that I would have Jesse on regardless of whether or not Charcoal sponsors this show. And as proof of that, Jesse was on the show back in episode 125 before Charcoal was a sponsor of the show. And that's actually how Charcoal became a sponsor of the show, because we liked what each other was doing in the photography world. And Jesse and I do talk about this idea that I call honest networking and finding people that you really do like being with, finding people you could imagine hanging out with even when it is not photography related. So, of course, Jesse is on to talk about his upcoming book, The Seraphim, which you can pre-order now at Charcoal Press. Uh, this is a second book in a series of seven that Jesse calls The Seven Seals Septology. And we're going to break down what that means and how Jesse sees this lifelong septology as connected to and inspired by his family, his home, and his life. Uh, Jesse and I will also talk about the way he has set up that life to make photos, promote the work of others through Charcoal Book Club and Press, and to help mentor and provide growth for new generations of artists through the Chico Review. And throughout the conversation, Jesse really shares a lot about his process, how he works, how he keeps going. And I really loved this conversation. All right, everyone, have a happy New Year's if you haven't done so already. And we will talk in 2024. Jesse Lenz. I'm good. <laughs> Let me start. <laughs> Hi, Jesse Lenz. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> uh, I've actually been great, uh, incredibly busy, but all in a yeah. good way. Uh, we're we're going to talk about your sequel to The Locust, which it's more than a sequel. 
it's part of a septology. I want to talk yeah. about that too. Uh, the Seraphim, which is out for pre-sale right now, right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, it's for it's pre-selling right now. Yeah. I think we're going to get copies in the next week or two, finally. And then it just takes so long to get them signed and sent back out to like our UK warehouse. We probably won't technically release it until like February, but like copies will start shipping in January probably just to get a bit of a, oh, a head start. Really yeah, it's just, yeah. it takes so much time. It's like, it takes four weeks to send to our warehouse in the UK and then two uh-huh. or three weeks to get into all the stores that ordered it. So you're looking at like a two month turnaround time from the time you get copies to the time they're actually physically in stores. So it's, you're always behind the game. You were on the episode for the Locust. Uh, it was uh, episode 120. Four years ago. This exact, yeah, this almost, is be I think it's the, the same set. month because yeah. I'm pretty sure <laughs> I was drinking yeah. Christmas ale right before Christmas <laughs> in my basement. I was probably drinking, I think I was drinking Old Oktoberfest, <laughs> which I st- I also have right now. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when we were talking, we were talking about that book, you were talking about the idea of being uncomfortable with, you know, promoting your own work as part of this, you know, larger thing you do with yeah. charcoal. Um, will this book be a book club member book? As <laughs> yeah, well? well, you know, it's one of those funny things. It's like, I always feel like your, your fears are very often not validated by others. You yeah. Know? It's like your, your fears of, cause what we found with charcoal is that a hundred percent, the books we publish are our members favorites books. Like, hands down yeah. no one swaps them everyone buys extra copies so like i i believe I feel it. like yeah for, yeah for me it's 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 kind of a confirmation of what i was always hoping to build with charcoal which is like essentially like a record label where people trust what you're doing and it's really worked um yeah and so yeah, at yeah. this point it's almost like i i put it through i'm gonna be putting it through not as like an advantage to me it, it probably loses money but <laughs> that's it's, right it's good I was for thinking our members that. it's like what our yeah. members want yeah, yeah it definitely yeah. is and it's like but it's exciting because it's actually it's like that engine it's the support that builds support for the books that people don't know and that don't necessarily support so just like in a record label it's like you always have your few book your few like albums or bands that kind of pay for everybody else and it's like that's a really good thing to be a part of and I've been able to, I did that with my last book. I was able to pay for a lot of books that were coming down the pipeline. And, you know, we've had some really great books recently that it's just kind of constantly paying it forward to, to more people. So it's exciting now. Um, and it's really cool too. Um, you know, in the second book coming out, you know, we, we printed 1500 copies of my last book and it sold out pretty yeah, fast. I and remember. It's, it's exciting now because you always in your own head feel like you're starting from scratch. It's like, oh my gosh, I have to like sell books. And you kind of forget that there's been other people that got the book, your previous one and liked it. And so there's... Uh, <laughs> you, you have an audience you forget, now. Yeah, well, like I, I always feel like I'm like Sisyphus, just like constantly rolling a ball up. Starting over. Like, you, yeah. you do forget that momentum does eventually crest and start going down the other side. And I feel like... With charcoal and even all the books that we're doing, I, I feel like we're finally getting to that point where it's not rolling downhill, but it's definitely not going uphill as steep. So, you know? d- so does opening yourself up. I mean, opening yourself up to allowing other people to be part of what you do. 
builds that momentum because you have the most incredible blurbs on this book, the Seraphim. And these are people you've gotten to know over the years who've participated in Chico, who've been who've been published by Charcoal, or at least uh, had their books come out as part of the Charcoal Book Club uh, be sent out. Yeah, and you know, it's it's yeah. one of those things. It's like it's funny because. You know, sometimes people can look at that and be like, oh, well, like, it's just, it's friends log rolling for friends. No. But it's like, man, like, if your friends are the right kind of people, they'll also tell you when they don't feel that they can speak to your work. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's like, this is something you you learn if you ever apply for, like, Guggenheim's. Like, you realize how many friends don't want to talk about your work. Yeah. And I feel like that's one of those, like, those those insider secrets that people don't really realize. Like, if, if people are willing to say things about your work, it, it means that they're willing to be on record for it, which yeah. is actually harder than, uh, than not, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's, it, yeah. it has been like, it has been really like exciting and humbling with this book. I do feel like I'm, I feel less of a, an urge to push it because I do also feel that like, I, I've realized that my work is, um, more voluminous than others. So like, for me, you know, the first book you always wanted to sell, you wanted to sell out, but like we printed a lot of copies of this book because I want it to be around when my fifth book comes out. Like I've had so many people in the last four years want to be able to get the first book and can't. And like, there's a part of me that's like, it does feel cool for that. And I feel like the, there is a necessary part of that just in terms of sales that like you want people to act quickly so you can, you know, break even. But I do feel like if you're building something bigger, this is an ongoing project. I want when people that when they discover the fifth or sixth book, I want them to at least have a reasonable chance to get the book or two before it. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, no, so I, there, know. I, I, I do feel like there's like there's less pressure for me on this one. And it's really just about kind of setting the standard for um, what I want this series to be versus making the biggest splash I possibly can with a book. It's like, if it goes under the radar, I'm kind of okay with that because sometimes like my, my favorite albums or movies are all things that went under the radar. You know, it's and, like, and not only that, the way of things sometimes, just like, I mean, you're, you're talking about music and sometimes you, you're a late fan to an artist and then you go back and you get the whole catalog. Right. So that, that's my entire experience <laughs> with everything in my life is like, I don't, I don't like explore things like, like 10 miles circumference, I go 10 feet and like mm-hmm. 100 feet down. So like when I discover an artist, I go through their entire back catalog and I want to own everything they ever made. Exactly. Um, yep. But I move on to like four artists a year, you know, like <laughs> that's my bandwidth of what I can consume. Oh no. Yeah, no, if that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The other thing about kind of feeling a little bad about people not getting your first book is you're, you've included it in this idea of seven books and yeah. it's going to make it harder. You're going to have to re yeah. you're going to have to reissue well, I did, the I first did, book. Uh, <laughs> I did keep like I have like 50 copies that I'm uh-huh. going to put out in like a a box set at the very end of oh, original copies. Very nice. Um, but what is kind of cool like, you know, there are some copies the slipcase edition that are still hovering around. People right. have been buying those more recently and there are a few stores that still have lingering copies. And that's kind of fun to see too. It's like I mean, as a publisher, you know, every time you publish a book, you sell more of your old books because people need a reason to get something. So if they forgot about a book and you have a new book, they'll get both of them because they kind of forgot about the one before. So like 
in our world, it's just like uh, it's an economy of attention. Like mm-hmm. people do forget about things. Of and, course. Um, Especially now in the photo book it's just, world. It's it, kind of the way it is. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. oh, there are a lot of photo books right now. It's a, it is hard to keep track sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do want to talk about the idea of the sequel and a seven series, a septology. Yeah. But before we get to that, let's talk about the actual, you know, the book itself, yeah. which, which is still, you know, it's still very much your photography, your, it feels like a sequel to The Locust. It is of your family. It is of your home. I think yeah. it might be a little different in terms of style, let's say. In this book, there are some movie frame images. I think, and you mm-hmm. can tell me if I'm wrong, there's almost a, a little more looseness to the imagery in that some are maybe, there's a more impressionistic style of imagery in this uh, in terms of its descriptiveness. And, and, I might be wrong about this one. Is there more of a presence of death in this book than the locust or is it about the same? Man, it's, it's so funny. Cause like, I, I don't know if I thought about any of that stuff. I, the death thing is funny. Cause I actually, I feel like in my head, there's more death in the locust than there was in this one. Hmm. But you know, it, it, it's also subjective because I feel like for me, this book is, um, I want every book that I make to feel like I'm turning it up to 11 versus mm-hmm. the previous book. So like this book, so many of the things I was hoping to do in the locust, but wasn't I wasn't quite getting it, I got it better. So like mm. I feel like it's just it's going deeper into every wormhole. So like nature, for example, I had been trying to photograph owls for years and never quite managed to there find them. There are more them. owls in this book. Then in, <laughs> a lot more. And that and yeah. that's where the, the title actually comes from is mm-hmm. this the seraphim, the, the owls. And we can talk about that more later, but it was like yeah. the the presence of nature, living nature, not not dead nature. That was something that I was just starting to kind of crest into with the locust when that book came out. But that book was so much about kind of discovering that this world around me existed. And it was like kind of the starting point. And I feel like this book is like, it's going deeper down those rabbit holes. So it's it's going deeper into the children. It's also going deeper into like the mycology mm-hmm. and like the mushrooms. It's going deeper into the, the animals, the predator-prey dynamic between animals. To me, it's just simply going this much further into the wormhole that started with the locust. So like everything's just a little bit more intense, but it's, it's not intense in that I'm finding new things. It's just, I'm honing the things I already know in the location that I know. And even now, like, you know, like now the book is coming out, I'm obviously thinking about the next things. And it's like, you're constantly thinking about like, well, what's the, what are the things I can dial up? Like, what are the things I'm interested in? Because Birds of prey, I'm very interested in. So like, that's why they feature pretty heavily in this is like, it's not like for me, photography is not the act of getting a picture. It's the result of the life I'm trying to live. This is like my, my big, I think separation or like maybe like a, just a path that that changes between me and a lot of photographers I know is that my life is not organized around like the picture I'm trying to get. It really is about what I'm trying to experience in my life. And the photograph is just simply the result of the life I'm trying to live. So like I'm trying to get closer to my children, thus different and new and more interesting pictures result because I'm I'm constantly trying to get 
closer to their life or at least the life that I didn't have that I'm trying to have vicariously through them. And also the same thing with nature, like the cameras I use shooting with film, all these things, it's because I'm physically trying to get as close to these animals as possible to have the experience being in their presence. Mm -hmm. And that results in a very particular kind of picture. It'd be a lot easier if I set up trail cameras or (laughs) went to like a Raptor center, but like, I'm not interested in that. Like I want a real experience. I want to be walking in the woods and see an owl pellet and then track where that's from and then watch a, a pair of, you know, great horned owls lay eggs and then watch that baby grow up and photograph and earn my way as close as I possibly can to that subject because it's it's about the experience of life versus the photograph. And I feel like in this book is like I'm just now starting to breach what's possible with that. Is but there with I think Oh, no, 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 you finish that thought. I'll come back. No, yeah. I was just, I think that's what for me is really interesting about like doing this like ongoing body of work is like obviously every book takes on its own thing. And like the past ye- past two years since I had twins, I have just been out of my mind because I'm like, I'm not out photographing nature. I'm just like stuck in my house and it's driving me crazy. But it's also like that's an opportunity to make photos that I've never made before because now I have twins and now we have like we have goats. My wife like milks goats every day and we have geese and we have like all this crazy homestead stuff that we've never had before. And so to me, that's what my photography always is. It's a reaction against my life. And it's it's saying, well, this is what is. How can I now see this in a way that I find beautiful and how can I see it in a way that makes me want to live in my own life and I think that like that to me is like the constant excitement about doing this like ongoing body of work is that every new stage of your life presents you with new opportunities but as an artist we have this idea that we can control it and we want to make it what we want to make it but like all the best things are reactive it's it's simply figuring out how to make a meal with the ingredients that you have and how do you make the best meal that you possibly can and it always keeps you on your toes and i think that that's like i'm really happy with the seraphim because i feel like that was what i was trying to make and also is what the ingredients i had and i feel like i made the best meal with what i had and now that that's done it's like well now what's this next meal (laughs) it's like (laughs) it's gonna have some of the same ingredients but also i know that like some of those ingredients I might not get back for another book or two. And when I get them back, it's going to be in a different way. And so it just, it makes everything you do feel like it's, it's the first time. Well, that's not that different from the process you had with the locusts when you made that Batman photo, your kid in a Batman costume. Oh yeah. And that made you realize you had this life in front of you that you weren't paying attention to photographically (laughs) that you had you had a stage and a world in front of you that could be photographed and then you have the twins and and the goats and the geese and you find that again you find it again that you have this life in front of you well and i feel like that's really the exciting thing because like to me like with like all the 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 reading and stuff i do it's like I'm constantly excited by when I come across things that feel like the life I've been living and been ignoring. And yet there's like a whole wealth of novels or like 
tarot cards or whatever that have been addressing like a specific thing that I've been trying to understand. It's like, oh, this is actually what humans have been trying to understand <laughs> for the past 10,000 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, I probably mentioned this the last time we talked, but like Genevieve Figgis, the painter, the British painter, I was reading this, this book that she was in and she talked about how when she was in art school, all of her art professors really encouraged her to like prioritize her freedom and her unattachment to the world because it would allow her to continue to create work. And she really rebelled against that. She was like, if we're supposed to make work that connects to human experience, why would I isolate myself from that experience right. to connect to it? And I feel like the experience of giving up control of your life and reacting to what is in front of you, mm -hmm. has it has been the formidable experiences <laughs> of all my life. And I think there's something really strong to that. So, yeah. So, that that goes into the idea of like an ongoing body of work. Like I've never really connected with the idea that photography has specifically, I think because it comes from photojournalistic roots with this idea of projects and this idea of like, well, that was my house and home project. Now I'm doing this project. It's like, no man, like my life is the project. Like everything <laughs> I'm interested in comes through in my work and every chapter of that is going to be slightly different in the same way that like your favorite fiction writer it's just kind of like a fictional progress of their life and you're oh, kind yeah. of in for it in the long run i couldn't identify with that more right now because my whole life has been projects i have probably 12 mm -hmm. 12 lightroom catalogs each one is a project <laughs> and now yeah. all i can do is look at them and see how they're all connected Every time I, everything I look at now, I just, all I see is a connection. Yeah. Do you know what's weird? This is, this is the opening sequence in every conversation I have with people with their portfolios and mm -hmm. everyone that I end up publishing, I tell them like, you might think this book quote unquote is <laughs> from this project, but it really requires these four other projects you yeah, did to exactly. be mixed in to make it a film because photographers are incredibly limited in their they're thinking about production because they think about it as a magazine project mm -hmm. or like an Andy Warhol film where it's like three hours of him chewing a mushroom in front of a camera, right? Like <laughs> right. they think of it in art house films. But if you can think about your work in terms of like a feature film or like a, even like a Tarkovsky or Terrence Malick film or Bielatar, you have to think of your work as like having be real, right? Mm -hmm. Like. For me, like the photographs of like nature, you know, mushrooms and plants and animals, like this is the soundtrack for your film. So in a film you're watching and you hear crickets buzzing and you hear grass swaying. In a photo book, you need photographs to give you that sense. Because without that, it's just narrative. Oh, absolutely. And that's just like yeah. watching a film of people talking for yeah. two hours. It's not really <laughs> interesting. You need emotional dynamics. And so many times people only think of their work in this like straightforward dialogue way. And it's like, man, like you need way more cinemagraphic aspects to this to make it an emotional, uh, emotionally appealing body of work, you know, and like all those little tiny scenes, you need those little scenes. You need the snake crawling through the grass. You need mm -hmm. the birds flying. You need these things to set up the emotion and the narrative of the film, the people interacting you need all those elements. And 
it goes back to like a, a a broader critique I have of the photo world of just like photographers need to watch movies. Like I'm watching a movie right now while we're talking. Like I can like, see the light need... flashing in the back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been going for a few days, so I'm pretty used to it. But like uh, photographers like should be taking in these things because that is an adjacent art form. That's like musicians not listening to ambient music in the world. Like it just doesn't make any sense. No, photographers should watch movies and and read poetry because poetry can describe things that are conceptual or emotional without being too literal, which is strange to say about words, but it is very much like photography. Totally. And what poetry is doing so often is analyzing the mundane in yeah. the same way that we are. It's it's analyzing the thing that we see all the time and creating it in a fresh way. And it would be it would be amazing if more photographers read poetry versus just copy and pasting a line <laughs> of it into their photo books. A little quote. <laughs> it, if they read more of it, they would probably exert it less. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get back to the, the surfing though, because I am really interested in some things about this idea of sequence. Yeah. And which came first, the idea of Septology, the book, The Locust, the sequel to The Locust of those three? Like what in what order did, these, did this all come about? This idea. Uh, first of all, I haven't said it yet. It's called the Seven Seals Septology, right? And we'll talk, why yeah, we talk the about seven the Seven Seals, seals yeah. a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it all come so together? Everything I do. Yeah, it's always reactionary, right? So like I made the locust because it was very intuitive. It made sense. But I knew that was not going to be the last book I made of the subject matter. I, I always felt that that was the first chapter, but I didn't know how that would play out. But I did know that was going to be the next 30 years of my life. Mm. You know, like when that book came out, we had just had twins. Yeah. And I'm just looking at the realities of my life. Right. And like, and also like what I want to spend my time with, like the whole reason I needed to make that work was to find a way to be happy being home instead of traveling. Right. Right. So for me, I just, I kind of looked at like, well, realistically, the amount of photographs that I shoot, I'm ready to make a book in four years. I, I shoot more than most people. I'm, I'm very prolific in my shooting and for me to stay engaged with work, I feel like that's that's my timeline. Like four years to make a body, get it out of the way, move on to the next thing. So I kind of I kind of was doing the math. I was like, well, if I did a book every four years, the last book would come out as my twins were graduating high school. <laughs> that would be a seventh book. Mm. And and for me, it all clicked in. Like seven is a very important number with like numerology. Right. Also with like apocrypha, like, you know, growing up as a preacher's kid, like seven is a very important number. It's like, well, that number fucking makes sense to me. And also like it, it gave me bookends, right? So like I deeply hope that this work is always something that I do. I do with my grandkids. I do it until the day I die. I have this idea of doing like, a tree of life book right before I die where it's like my entire life of this just reoccurring cycles of life and death going all the way through. But even without that, by the time my twins graduate, I'll be a grandfather. Like my oldest kid will have kids by then. Mm. So it will already kind of start that, but at least it gives bookends because like 
the the concept of, and, and this is where like the seven seals came in like you know being a preacher's kid i'm very well versed in revelation uh, <laughs> apocalyptic <Yes. laughs> revelation and like also and like i'm also drawn to those things like apocryphal prophecy and stuff like that and I, I like this idea of it being tagged to something bigger and the idea of the seven seals is really interesting because when the seventh seal is read the entire world is destroyed in the that, apocalypse. That's heaven on earth, isn't it? Exactly. But the the crazy, well, it it is, but only through destruction. So oh no, the sixth world, the sixth seal is the start of the destruction of the world, right? Exactly. When the, when the mountains the turn seventh, to sand, it's reborn. Right. right yeah. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So the idea is it is it is rebirth through destruction, and so when my life gets to that point, the last thirty years I've known will be destroyed in a way. It will also be being born again. So like I'll have opportunities to do things I, have, I haven't done in 30 years with traveling, photographing, like traveling with my wife again. And so that's exciting, but it also means it's coming to an end. Even if things continue, it, they continue in a different way. And so for me, it was just like, it was, it was a very obvious way to be able to put bookends in a thing and say, well, like, this is the thing I'm doing until then. Then after that, it's just... Who knows yeah. what's going to happen? But yeah. I know it gives me purpose for these years when I'm home, when I'm like seeing, I'm like, why am I doing what I'm doing right now? It's like, well, this is what I'm working on. Yeah. In a, in a slightly humorous way. Right now you're on book two. So you're still, books one through four will be like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I like that your for children sure. will still be wreaking havoc at that time. And so your your first four books will be- <laughs> I mean, be... <laughs> hopefully they'll always wreak havoc, but, you know, well, guaranteed in the first four books. The fifth seal is is more like judgment and, you know, they'll be the angsty teenage years, <laughs> right. you know, or the, right. the young adult years. I might years. have a few kids in jail by then. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on, a, on a more serious note, I yeah, I mean, the idea of the the seven seals as as this journey where you kind of have to keep proving yourself. I think that very much goes along yeah. with the way you make work, the way you make books, uh, the way you think about yeah. how you photograph. Well, exciting! Yeah. It's exciting too because like even with like the titles of the book, it's not it's not like a literal translation of like no, what I each know. seal is. But yeah. the weird thing is, is as I go through them, it's like, you do find lots of like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> this is like pretty fucking spot on to what I'm doing. Right. And like that to me is the exciting thing. It's like the amount of films I find that feel like they're uh, parallel to what I'm doing or, mm -hmm. you know, or books I read. I'm like, man, this is like exactly what I'm doing. It's like, as you go on this journey and like, I feel like this is like kind of the standard artistic journey or like odyssey of being an artist but you do go through these periods like i can't believe i just found someone who lived 70 years ago that was making the same thing as me mm -hmm. um that's the way i felt when i found emma gallon's work and like i'm right. always embarrassed of finding out because like i discover people that were discovered years ago you know it's like <laughs> i find people that like everyone knows of i'm like i found quote unquote Stieglitz this like two years ago <laughs> and I was blown away you know it's like because like but, you, you know but of no, names but you, you don't know, really know the work but you're self-taught you, know? you know Stieglitz you would have yeah. learned in the academy right I mean you're you're self-taught yeah. I love it when someone shows me someone I should have known about a long time ago I, I kind of love oh, it for sure yeah. well dude it's it's amazing like I'm a part of like a like a little tight group of like 
pretty well-known film directors and stuff that I really respect that I've somehow came in contact with. And we mm -hmm. always share like books and films yeah. that we find. And like, I share stuff with them all the time. They're like, I've never heard of this. And it's like, dude, how, how do I know this thing? And you don't know this thing. And it's like, I think that's the thing. That's like the reason I started charcoal is like, Every single time I get into these conversations, you realize that like almost every single time can tell someone something that they've never heard of before. And that's really valuable. And it's even more valuable when it comes from a trusted source, you know, like, oh yeah, absolutely. Having yeah, yeah. like you tell me I should look at someone or someone's film or someone's work means more to me than seeing it on a website. You know, getting back to like the seven seals stuff, it's like, the thing that's like very nice about like doing this ongoing book series is like, I have nothing else to do. Hmm. I have six kids. I live on a farm. <laughs> I pack books a lot. Like I, I'm, I'm very much engaged in this. Like this is my way of being present as a human being in my own life. And you do a lot more. <laughs> you, uh... <laughs> oh, well, a lot. <laughs> But yes, I, I, I completely understand that. I also throw in teaching with that as a way of, of being present. Well, that for me, like that's what Chico is really, yeah. you know, working with like young photographers on their books. Cause like yeah. the books that, that I'm publishing with Charcoal, um, we have like, I think I have like four books right now, maybe five books, like, well, my books printed. We have like four getting ready to go to press and they're all first time artists. You know, some are young, some are mm. in their 70s and have just been living on the islands and never, no one knew they were photographers. They were just fishermen for years. I find that like that's really where like the magic happens. Like even in our credits in the back of our books, it, it's all music credits. It's like I'm the producer of an right. album. I like finding people that I'm like, oh my gosh, you have so many good riffs. Let's put them together in songs, <laughs> you know? And then finding yeah. that overarching theme to what they're doing. Like this guy I met like maybe, you know, 10, 11 years ago on an island, literally bumped into him and he saw I had a Leica around my neck. He's like, oh, I used to have a Leica. And we started talking and went back to his house, had some drinks and ended up looking through like these old Kodachrome slides he had. And, you know, he has like 30 years of documenting this place, but also his family and like raising sheep on an island and being a fisherman mm. and building boats and building his house and having kids. It's like, it's a mermaid story. It's one that's like, I've always loved. And, you know, a few years ago, I was able to approach him with an idea of doing a book and just been digging through, you know, decades wow. of slides. And huh. that book is like almost, almost finished. And to me, that's, if yeah. I'm not making my own books, like that's the kind of thing I like doing discovering something or even with like a young photographer, like with Aaron's book that just came out, you know, like when she got the publishing prize in 20, it was the 2021 Chico Review, so it was two years ago. Mm -hmm. I think maybe only eight of those pictures she originally had ended up in the book. The rest oh, were wow. made in the two years we were working together because working with someone where they're sending you every month the photos they made that month and you're able yeah. to look at them and be like, okay, cool. These look great. Think about this next time you go out to shoot, you know, like that ongoing seeing that mentoring happen, that you yeah. probably get with, <laughs> with teaching. Right, right. That for me is like, it's the same thing. It's like working with a handful of people where they have the, the skills to do it. They just need the vision. They need someone to help got help see what they're doing right. You know, Absolutely. I think that's the thing is like being a professor. Like, it's funny because I'm really good friends with all my professors that I had in college and just 
hearing them talk about it's like the amount of times you can see what someone's doing right, but they don't see it, right? But then you have this few students that you can tell them what they're doing right and they do it better the next time. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, man, it's so rewarding <laughs> they- to see someone understanding their place in the world and what they can bring to it at that time in their life. It's like, it's like seeing someone on fire. It's, it's so, it's captivating. Even the thing that I see in Chico all the time is like, people always promote themselves based on what they've seen. So everyone's trying to be something that everyone's already seen. And when you look through like hundreds of bodies of work, you just see everyone trying to be someone you've already seen do it better. And if you see like their dirty little secrets, you see (laughs) the photos, they don't show anyone. It's like Mm -hmm. 90% of the time you're like, Jesus Christ, these are great. Like this is an actual window into your soul. Like this is what I want to see. And I say that all the time to people. I don't know if you can say enough. It's like the photos you make, they're truly you. They're aesthetically pleasing, but they're also just photos that are honest. Like Mm -hmm. it's you in your life. Or yeah. the things you find interesting that are interesting yeah. to other people because you're like showing it's like that energy and that uh, excitement transfers to other people. <laughs> the thing I always tell people is like if you want to get really good at submitting the grants or competitions, just judge a few and you'll realize what not to do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> with with talking, writing, and Anyways, presenting. I, I, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I keep I keep uh, derailing us on talking. Oh, other that's shit. right. I, I'm always I'm always aware of like your time, the amount of time that you have to edit <laughs> our long, that's true. sprawling conversation. But it's that's nice because right. I don't talk to I'm anyone who's not like yeah. a 12 year old most days of my life. So this is like this is like going out to drinks with a friend for me. Like this I know, is not no, no. often. It's fine. Um, I, I do want to just mention one thing. Uh, you you brought up Aaron. You were talking about Aaron Springer yeah. and the book Dormant Season. Yeah. I just want to make that clear for people who are listening who you were talking about, which was which was a fabulous oh yeah book. and yeah 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 yep. I'm so happy with that book. Aaron mm-hmm. is absolutely fantastic, and that book has uh, it turned out better than I could have ever wanted it to turn out. Like you know, she's one of those people that like is a good example of someone who responded you push as hard as you possibly can and every time mm-hmm. you push them they come back and they live up to what you push them to be yeah like i always tell people like like i don't mind conflict like i don't mind arguments with people if we argue you have to prove me wrong or you yeah. have to do better and yeah, yeah. she's someone that like every single time like man like i wrote her really hard on this book and every single time I did, she came back with something that knocked my socks off. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's that's really the thing in the publishing world that's really missing is like, I know for me, like I want that from people. Like the people that help me edit my, my books and like comment on my work, I want them to be ruthless. I want a drill sergeant in my life. I don't know how many artists actually want that, but like every <laughs> really successful artist I know they have that in their life. They have people that set them straight. Mm-hmm. And it's really rewarding to work with people that they might not like it all the time, but they live up to it. And I think that that, yeah. like, that to me is like, I think that's kind of like the standard of quote unquote success or whatever. It's like, can you constantly one up yourself? You know, 
with even the people that know you better than anyone else. Like, mm-hmm. you know, every time you make a book, the people that love the book and the people that love you, you have to one up it. Like you can't make something less good. It's a ladder we all have to climb. And I feel like you have to get used to climbing it pretty early or you're not going to be ready for, you know, this tiny world of <laughs> the photo book world. That, oh, it, it, is. Know, it is. It is what it is. It is very tiny. And, you know, the more the more I participate in things, the more I realize, yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty tight and small community in the end. <laughs> well, and it's also one of those things like I don't know if we said this like in the past, but like I always talk about like being an artist as like I think it's the same thing as being a heroin addict. Like <laughs> you're not choosing this because it makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. you're not saying like, well, heroin's cheaper than marijuana. Maybe I'll do heroin. It's like, no, man, you're just a fucking addict. Yeah. Like, no, there's no logic. It's just there's like, no what do you have to do yeah. to get your fix? But I think it really helps people because I feel, I see, and I was one of these people, like, I feel like a lot of young artists see people and they're like, oh, what, like, look at this person's success. Like, it's because of these things. It's like, no, they were already an addict. They just figured out how to pay for their habit. You know, some people are yeah. heroin addicts, but they have a trust fund. Makes it easier. Other people are heroin addicts, but they have a really good OnlyFans account, right? So, like, makes that easier. Others of us have to be plumbers while we're shooting up. You know, it's like, right. it doesn't really matter. The only <laughs> thing that matters is, like, we all have to get our fix. Like, that's the equalizing factor. And so, like, I always get frustrated with people when they talk about art as if it's, like, a career decision. Like... Oh, I don't, I don't shoot film anymore. It's too expensive. That's like saying like, well, I used to do heroin, but like I don't because it's just like the market's not really great right now. It's like, <laughs> man, it's just not, if it's the thing, it's the thing. You figure you know, it's it, like, you figure out how to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's reactive. Yeah. You just, you do what you have to do to get your fix. You know, it's mm-hmm. not really a, it's not a decision. It's, it's something that insists upon you. It's not something that you make a decision on. And, uh, like, I feel like people that are able to rise to those occasions are people that mm-hmm. instinctually feel that because they're always one-upping themselves. They're always yeah. trying to see where they can take what they're doing, where they can get the next fix. It's like, because this is something that's actually pretty interesting. I, I don't know if I've talked about really anywhere else before, but like, I feel like artists need to need their work, right? So like, I don't really trust artists who don't have their own work hanging in their houses or around them. Because for me, I make the work I make because nobody else is making it. If someone else is making it, I could just consume it Mm. and I would be happy. No one's producing what I need to consume. So I have to produce it. It's not because I want to. It's because I actually physically need to partake in it to feel like satiated. And I feel like at every great artist, whether it's a writer or a poet or a visual artist, they have that same need. Like they're not satisfied with what's being made around them. Like they have to make their paintings because their paintings are the only thing that gives them like the satisfaction to be able to sleep, to wake up and make the next one. I'll, I'll push back on that only in this way. I think there is the kind of artist, me included, (laughs) who likes to surround themselves with the work of the people who inspired them, the mentors, the, oh, the, for greats, sure. the historical figures. Because I, I mean, I have a piece hanging behind me right now that's mine. I keep my work sort of in one place. Like 
I see it. It's there. Like it's in my studio. It's in boxes. It's on. It's right now. It's spread out across the table. I'm picking work out all the time. It's on my screens all the time. But I don't hang it in my house, like downstairs or anything like that. I I prefer to hang the work that friends have given me that work that I'm inspired by things like that. So I, I have a little different relationship in that way. It also comes from a, I think a, a kind of a Irish Catholic guilt of being uh, boastful. <laughs> well, I, I also think of it in this way. It's like my entire career. I've never, um, I've always, I've always critiqued my work based mm-hmm. on the top epitome of what I feel like work should be. So I don't feel like my work is good until it's as good or better than the people I think are great. Mm-hmm. And like that could sound very personal. Oh, yeah. Like I get that, but like, yeah. but like I I also do think that like a certain amount of taste is understanding when you are getting to that level and knowing that like it's not even like taste. It's like when I make stuff, I would prefer looking at than other people. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like it is a mix because like I I do the same thing on. The majority of work I have hanging around is paintings. Um, ah. That's the thing I'm the most interested. I have lots of books, but I also have my own work surrounding me because I feel like the work I want to see being made is usually a mix of like paintings with like old National Geographics from like huh. the 50s mixed with like Sally Man, Larry <laughs> Tal. It's like it's right. a it's a combination of the things I have hanging around, but the work I'm making is the expression of those things all squeezed together yeah. and finally having a baby you know yeah 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 and and I don't want to I don't want to sound overly modest I I like the work I've made <laughs> I'm I'm very proud of it oh, yeah. I get I get very angry when it gets rejected <laughs> well I so. think I think I think even more than being proud of something though it's it's something that you need to see because there's I, right. there's lots of photos that I've made that I think are great, but I don't need them in my life. Mm-hmm. I say this to people all the time. Like, if you're an artist and you don't need your work, how can you ever expect someone else to need it? Absolutely. I think that like it might be a little egotistical, but like maybe that's my blue collar roots. But like I can't imagine trying to sell someone something that I don't believe in. Mm-hmm. And if I need my work to get through a day there might be a few other people out there that feel that same way. I think you have to have that. It's not because like it's brilliant. It's just like, yeah, it's like I know I need it. I know I like it. I know I like the food I cook. So like maybe some other people might like it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really healthy way to think of it because I I meet so many photographers that like are making projects that they don't even like anymore and they're trying to get other people to buy it or buy it in the book. It's like, dude, you don't even like this. Like how can you (laughs) expect someone else to look at it four times and still like it? You know, mm-hmm. like if you can make something and this is where like editing processes comes in. Like if you can make something where you've worked four or five, six years on and you still like looking at it, mm-hmm. that's, that's a good sign. Means yeah. maybe someone else will like looking at it. Right. Or you. For a you, couple years. Yeah. Or somebody mentions something and you discover you missed something. And you're really excited to get back out there and, and cover that part of something that you missed. I think that's a good sign too. Like, totally. You know, you think you think you're done with something, and then someone says, "Oh, there was this thing I just saw," and you're like, "Oh crap, that would really work." <laughs> I've got to get out there. <laughs> it ignites a whole whole new a- avenue for you. Which I imagine 
is going to also be a big part of continuing, right, with the, the seven seals, is you've got to, like we were saying earlier, sort of feel like you're missing something in a way or feel like you're not participating in the way you want to be in order to keep going with this work, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's just naturally who I am. I always feel like I'm missing out on something I should be doing. I feel like every single stage of my life is a constant look at like what is versus what I want to be, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this whole work started because I was in a place I didn't want to be and I had to find a way to see it. I feel the more I give myself over to the life that's happening around me, I just keep getting more subject matter that I'm just like, man, I would have never thought about this. Like I, w- I would never have a herd of goats that I'm milking every day. Yeah. You know, like I would never do that, but here we are, you know, hey, like that's uh, yeah. weird. That's interesting. Are and we going to see goats in like, uh, book three? I'm sure. Like, I'm sure there'll be some there. And like, but I find it interesting. It's like, you know, you find all these connections with work. Like, I mean, the very first book that I ever bought was Alessandra Sanguinetti's on the sixth, on the sixth uh. day. And there's so much of like domesticated, you know, animals and stuff in that book. And mm-hmm. I feel like at this point, like I, I constantly see so many different themes in the work that I'm hovering around and in certain times in certain books you click into like, okay, well, this is the book that I'm going to have to do more of this because this is what my life is. And that's interesting. Like to me, like the idea, like my son just turned, my oldest son just turned 12, you know, in a year he's going to be a teenager. And like, to me, the idea of him being a 16 year old with a girlfriend who's like interested in like heavy metal music or like (laughs) something else and doesn't want his photograph taken. That's a huge, exciting thing because I'm there. I'm right. I'm there right now. (laughs) Yeah. You still have the opportunities if, if you're aware of to catch those moments of transcendence that are still part of everyday life. Like my favorite photos I've ever taken are always the photos that feel timeless, but yet they're still so inherently connected to the time we are right now. Like you see a Burger King logo or you see Mm -hmm. like the Hanes written on the underwear of a kid. Like there are these moments are like, if you just know how to look at them, they're beautiful, even though they're complex and irritating and zit ridden and (laughs) arguing with them. It's still those moments, like the still small moments where, you know, you're sitting around a breakfast table and it's just like, this is how I always want to remember you. And I feel like, there's always those moments to be able to to be found, but it requires harder looking. And I think yeah, that's exciting yeah. as a photographer is like, it's not easy. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, it is. not it easy is. at all. It's going to keep <laughs> getting harder. Luckily, you know, if when I'm dealing with an 18 year old, I'll still have like a 10 year old. <laughs> so, you know, I can, I can balance it a little bit. I've built right. that into the equation. <laughs> there, I have a 16 year old, a 12 year old and the 60 year old plays guitar at a girl's house every night, uh, you know, and, and doesn't oh, want to be photographed. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but on that, on that note, the very thing that I fell in love with my son about is still the thing that I, you know, love about him is, you know, every once in a while through whatever turmoil, argument, thing he once can't have or anything like that, there is the, this conversation, like a, a, a moment of like incredible connection where we, we talk about something 
in a just sort of very natural way. But it, it, it strikes me later like, oh, yeah, that was like a full whole person conversation I just had with him. And it's it's I can point to markers throughout totally. his whole life. Where that is like the moments where I just cherish. Absolutely. Yep. Well, if you think about, I mean, that that to me is like the guiding light of like the photographs that I want to make. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about memories, like, you know, they're not the big moments. They're always these weird little fleeting moments in between. They're, um, yeah. Yeah, you don't. That's why, like, uh, like family photo albums are so misleading. It's it's all the big events, but there's no real memory to them. It's like here you are at your third birthday and your fourth yeah. birthday and your fifth birthday, <laughs> but yet the moments we actually remember are like that weird day that we laid under like the shade of a tree and talked about what cicadas were. You know, mm-hmm. it's like those weird moments or like a smell you remember. You know, and like that's the way the human mind actually works and so mm-hmm. it's really beautiful to be able to make work that's connected to the way we actually remember life yeah you know and even if it's only for yourself i think it's really powerful because like those moments you remember are those moments of transcendence and they're usually in like the most banal things possible you know like a conversation about like a football team or music or something like that. It's just these little unexpected moments that you're given. You're like, how is this the thing I'm going to remember? But it, it's, <laughs> yeah, the thing it that per- it's the thing that <laughs> insists upon you. Like, I like this it word does. insisting because like, mm-hmm. for me, like this word, it started from this whole idea that like the idea of um, God or this idea is it's not something that exists, right? It's not physical presence. It's something that insists upon you. So it's it's more of a lack. It's this idea of something that doesn't exist that's exerting pressure upon you. And those moments of transcendence, I feel like, are things that don't quite exist, mm-hmm. but they're always pushing on your memory. I think it's a really powerful thing. I think it's a, it is the thing that like at the end of your life, you're going to remember all the moments that no one else remembers. Right. You know, and like (laughs) that to me is like what photography does. It's what poetry does, right? It captures the essence of things you can't remember. It's what drew me to photography because, like, to me, photography is it's active meditation. It's Mm -hmm. simply the act of being incredibly present. And I'm not someone who's able to be present instinctually. I have to have a reason to be present. And that reason is having a camera. Yep. Or the fact that it keeps you connected, that it reminds you to be connected. Yeah. Having a camera around my neck reminds me that it's worth, because I have so many things going on. It reminds me it's worth sitting in a place and listening to someone talk, whether I want to be there in that moment or mm-hmm. not. And then true. I sit there long enough. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I did. Because if not, I would be doing invoices or doing some <laughs> other bullshit work that I need to right. do but I don't need to do. It's almost like a costume. It's like a superhero costume. Mm-hmm. It's like putting it around your neck. It makes you feel like, no, I have a reason to be here. It absolutely is. Yeah. And I really feel the is. same with my kids or like, it, yeah. it might sound terrible as a parent, but like, I feel like at times, especially when you're busy this time of year, it's like you need an excuse to not do anything. And for me, that excuse is like putting the camera on my neck, grabbing my, my Bolex, my 16 millimeter. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to sit here for a couple hours and if something happens, it happens. If not, I feel like I did my job today. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. It is. 
it is a way of both being involved, being present, staying connected, but it's it's also uh, a way of letting you off the hook of having certain other kinds of responsibilities at the same time. Where you oh, know, yeah. I'm I'm here. I feel like I read I'm a, with you. I read a, yeah. like a, a a study about like the the German influence on photography and like my my family's like very German and like mm-hmm. Viking and like the idea that we need an excuse for like vacation like you're on vacation to take pictures right? yeah yeah um, you're still being productive while relaxing and I feel like it's very much important That's in my it. life like I I have to have a reason to be doing nothing. That's it. And that's right. like that's why I think of it as like it's a form of active meditation. It's a form it of just sitting and saying, I'm simply going to observe what happens. You're doing something anything else. You're doing something to do nothing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like a mantra. You know? Yeah. It's like you're simply doing something to to like calm your your monkey uh-huh. brain. So it, it, it can just shut up for a little bit. Absolutely. Um, before we go, did yeah. you want to say something about the, the Chico review that's coming up this spring? I mean, it's everything is awesome. done, right? Everything's <laughs> yeah. done. Everyone's well, I been. Mean, it's just starting ready? for me. Well, no, I mean the the the, the applications <laughs> are closed. Yeah, now we're just getting ready to start uh, inviting people. Right. Yeah, and, and logistics. Getting ready right? to open yeah. the floodgates. I think the only I think the only thing I would say is like I think every year it just I'm constantly surprised by the the work that comes in the people that come in because as artists like so many times we at the same like we in a parallel form we overestimate our work and underestimate our our positions as humans right mm-hmm. so so many people they think it's only about the work but the work gets your foot in the door right? Who you are as a human being is three-fourths of the equation. And so, for me, it's really exciting every year to see the work consistently getting better, but yet every year, the people keep getting more interesting and cooler too. And -hmm. I think that's like, for me, that's like a really good testament to everything because like there's a lot of natural filters that happen with Chico. It's like the location is a filter, the time of (laughs) year, the cost, like everything's a filter. But what you end up when you have a lot of filters is you end up with whiskey instead of beer, right? You end Mm -hmm. up with like a really honed group of people that really desire to be there and desire to be part of the community. And for me, like I just keep seeing like our alumni connection to coming back every year. Like it just keeps getting more interesting and cooler. And when we started, you know, when I started at Chico, was, I didn't have this expectation. And like now they keeps growing and like seeing the work every year, it feels really exciting because it mm. feels like something that's now taking on its own life, <laughs> you know, in a it really does. exciting way. It does because you're, yeah, you're putting, you're helping put people out in the world who are then passing on that experience and also teaching and also reviewing people's work. And it yeah, grows exponentially. Totally. Yeah. Well, and this is, you know, this is our, I think this is our eighth year doing mm-hmm. it. But, you know, you know, COVID definitely was like a yeah. wrench in the gear. <laughs> I feel like, you know, we kind of have like a three year red shirt year because of COVID. <laughs> so like, but now it's like, you know, this is the first year that we've been, I feel like really out of the shadow of that. And mm-hmm. it's been just overwhelming. And to me, that's really exciting because like, 
I look forward to Chico every single year because it's it's my big release for my um, artistic needs for community every year. And I feel like most of us, once we get involved with like a life with kids or a job or anything else, it's like we have yeah. time for like maybe one or two things a year. We have like time for a book fair yeah. and something, you know, <laughs> no, that's and like, it. Yeah. yeah, no, that's it. And like, for me, it's like, it, it really is that way. And it's really exciting to, to like see and constantly meet people that like, it's their ongoing thing every year they come back to mm-hmm. just in terms of like, community and it's just so fun now to be a part of something where like the people that came that you loved like three four years ago are the people that are like initiating people into the thing now because they keep coming back that's it it's just like yeah it's it's wild man like it's (laughs) it's just like watching your kids grow up it's like you know it's like it's like stuff keeps happening where i'm like man i have no control over this like i'm just along (laughs) for the ride at this point you know like my only job is like to try to keep it heading in the right direction and just like seeing it constantly morph and uh evolve into something that i could have never imagined it being it's like Mm -hmm. that to me again that's like the whole giving up control of things like i think it's watching people come into who they are right it's the same thing as like finding young artists and helping them it's like seeing people realize what you see in them when they see it and then they run with it it's really special like when they realize who they are in their time and what they have to give to the world at that time that's like the purest form of art that you can find Um, yeah and it's really cool to be able to like consistently see that and also like with chico it's like it's been so crazy like i mean this past year in charcoal i think we've had like three or four people that were all um chico grads that we've done their Mm -hmm. book even like uh jackie who was last month's book of the month having her book it's like seeing people come out with other publishers like tbw is getting ready they had their book at um a Paris photo, but they're getting ready to release a book that was a woman that they met at our 2019 Chico review. It's like <laughs> at Paris photo this year, there was like That's... seven books being released. There were all people that met at Chico <laughs> three, four, five years ago. And like, to me, That's it's so fantastic. exciting because like that's, that's yeah. actually the timeline it takes to make mm-hmm. something. So like, we're actually, it's not going to happen this month. It's probably going to be in the <laughs> new year, but like I'm launching a whole section on our website it's just like a family tree of all the books that have happened because of Chico. Oh, that's amazing. Because that's it amazing. takes sometimes yeah. three, four, five years. Like I'm getting ready to publish a book next year. I've been working with the guy for six years since I met Machiko. You know, these are not, you, you go to Chico and next year you have a book. It's like even mm-hmm. the best case scenario, like Aaron's book took two years. You right. know, like these are uh, long form stories. They're being written, not a, uh, they're, yeah. they're not quick, <laughs> quick success stories. Like, a, uh-huh. it's not Shark Tank. Right. And Jacqueline Silverbush was a, a Chico. Yeah, she was our merit scholar, our top That's merit it. scholar right, for right, right. the 2020 review. I, I, brought, I brought that up because you're talking about it's not, it's not the next day. It's not the next month. It's, you know, it's taking no. everything in and then, you know, you also meeting great people and, and really going with it. Well, yeah, it's that, it's that, finding yeah. people you're compatible with, you know, it's yeah. just like dating, you know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> it's finding people you want to spend the rest of your life with. <laughs> Yes, it really because, is. You know, working with someone every month for two or three years is being uh-huh. in a serious relationship. You know, it, it's a serious long-term relationship 
long distance. Right. Yeah. Well, I think we could uh, wrap it up there. I think this this idea of, of that, that community idea and finding those people you really connect with, it, it takes us all the way back to when we were talking about the blurbs in your book, right? It's, it's honestly finding people you really want to spend time with that you admire, that, you know, I, I talk a lot about honest networking and that's what it is. It's, it's, it's friendships. It's, it's yeah. developing relationships and friendships. That's what it is. Oh yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's like networking has got this like bad, like Wolf of Wall Street kind of like connotation to it, mm-hmm. but really in, in our circles, networking is simply getting, getting to know people, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, as artists, I feel like a lot of times, like a lot of people are kind of shy or something to begin with but like yeah we all need community and i think it's really important like i mean my work is a good example of this like i knew when i started making my work that like to a quote-unquote art world like institutions like my work is not interesting to them until maybe i'm the time that i'm emma gowan's age like (laughs) i'm not the kind of person that they're they're not looking for me right Mm -hmm. but i know a lot of like people connect with my work because people have the same like i'm just making work about life right and so you realize that what you maybe miss out on on that kind of like overarching like being topical or um, being what institutions are looking for, you make up for being relatable to Mm -hmm. people and adding something to their life. And so I don't think you have those realizations if you're kind of cloistered off because like when we're at Chico, for good example, like we talk about all this stuff and like even people like Brian, Scuba and like these people have had like incredible careers. Like a lot of these people are very aware of like what the landscape is and understand the need for each artist, you know, like you need a John Mayer, but you also need Godspeed you Black Emperor. You, you need all of these acts working together and like the best musical people understand that like everyone plays their part and that's why festivals yeah. can be so interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. you can mix all the crowds together and so many artists love weird, obscure acts. And I think that's like the exciting thing about doing Chico's I've always thought about as a music festival. It's like, my job as like a, a concert promoter is bringing in headlining acts, but then also mixing in obscure acts that you have no <laughs> idea who they are. Like people mm-hmm. like Pradeep or Igor Posner. It's like, oh, but they're I know, always the right? people that, yeah. that when, when people leave that event, that's who they leave loving. Right. Yeah. So like you can have like a crazy big headliner that everyone applies because they want to meet that person. Yeah. But the person they leave saying like, Jesus Christ, that person really blew my mind. It's always someone they don't expect. (laughs) And like, that's like the the hidden secret to all this is like, you give people what they want, but you also give them what they need. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I think that like, you can overcompensate on just giving people what they want. But like having six kids, like my kids just want to eat candy all the time. You know, like (laughs) none of them want to do chores. Half of them wouldn't shower unless you force (laughs) them to. That's right. You know, so it's like, you realize that like, you really do have to kind of like do both. You have to like entice people, but you yeah. also have to like, without them realizing it, give them some vegetables. You some know? solid, like, that's right. Solid foundation. It. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, you need some fiber. You need to keep everything moving. Um, but I think that's like, that's the exciting thing is like when you see people come out and they realize, oh, wow, mm-hmm. like this person that like, it's always funny to me like to see people who are like, oh, I didn't want to get reviewed by this person. I don't know who they are, whatever. Then like they leave and they're like, 
oh my Thank god you right for that yes. it's like damn man i tried telling you <laughs> like yeah that's why we brought them you know it's like no, it wasn't just some true. random hole we had to fill like right, we took right. a ch- like we brought them because of how right. insightful they are it's not know? like there aren't an, uh, enough people who'd want to do it yeah true. yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Like, it's not like we don't have a list like we brought this person you've never heard of before because they're brilliant well that's great um so you can pre-order your book. We'll take it all the way back to your book, The Seraphim, at Charcoal Press. And uh, we'll uh, talk again. And I'm sure we'll actually stay on and talk for a few more hours. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely. All right. Bye, everyone. Okay, cool. Real Photo Show is produced by me, Michael Chauvin-Dalton. Music by Matteo Chauvin-Dalton and Jim Raimundo, recorded at the Rutherford Music Exchange. If you like the show, please rate and review with all the stars on your favorite listening platform. 